Never going to give you up, never going to let you down. This is Season 2 of the Launch Pod for Pomona Valley Church. That's right, friends. We are back with Season 2. This is Curtis, and we had so much fun during the first season, we just couldn't stay away. And this is Meredith. It's true. We had so much fun sharing the heart behind what we are trying to do with Pomona Valley Church, and we loved hearing from so many of you about what you thought about the vision, values, these dreams, and we were really gratified by how many of you seemed to connect with what we were saying. Yeah, we weren't surprised necessarily just because we have had a whole bunch of these conversations with very different people and there's some really consistent themes that we've seen in how people are experiencing church right now and what might connect with them better. But even so, it's always nice to feel like you aren't off in your own little world. Which is really one of the most consistent things that we have heard from people, that they're really glad to hear somebody else articulating things that they have been feeling, to know that they are not alone. Alone in my principles, if you will. (laughs) People want to follow Jesus. They just might not want to do it the same way that it's been done, maybe especially in the past decade or so. I think it's fair to say there has been some baggage that has gotten lumped in with all the good stuff. For sure. But we are back for season two, so spread the good news. Yeah, we're really excited about this second season, and we're hoping that it gives us a chance to keep exploring these dreams about creating new church spaces. And one of the things we have loved about doing a podcast is that it helps connect us not only to people in Southern California, since we are still here in Illinois, but also we found, because you can track these sorts of things, that we have friends listening all over the place. And we are so grateful that you are still, in a very real way, part of creating this new church through this podcast vehicle. As a part of the season, we, we do want to keep you all up to speed on the process of Pomona Valley Church actually coming into existence, uh, where we are in the process, what steps are next, that sort of thing. So, Meredith, where are we? Yeah, just a quick update for now. We have known for a while that one of the first things that needs to happen for all of this is for Curtis and I to actually move back home to California so that the face-to-face part of all of this can really get started in earnest. We've targeted June for moving back, and at this point, we're still on track for that. We have sold our house out here in Illinois, and we are in the process of finding a place to live in Claremont. If you all could pray for that to go quickly, smoothly, we would really appreciate it. It's incredibly important to us to find a place that is more than just a house, a place where the life of this church can actually begin to take shape. And that's going to maybe even limit some of our options a bit. Yeah, and along with that, we've been spending a lot of our time since the end of the first season of the podcast on fundraising, just because we anticipate that doing church the way that we want to at Pomona Valley Church will mean starting on the slower side. Relationships tend to be built slower than programs can. Right. And so if we can build a solid, stable foundation on the front end, that will allow us to grow slowly if that's what we need to do in those first couple of years of starting this church for the sake of a healthy church that truly embodies the values that we have outlined. So we've got a fundraising page through our partner Communitas right now, and we're working on some other ways that people who might want to support what we are building would be able to. One thing we have found is that a lot of the institutional money that is going into starting new churches right now is mostly interested, maybe even exclusively, in building churches that look a lot like the institutional churches that already exist. 
So if you want to try something different, it means finding different ways of paying for it. So a lot of our time these last couple of months has gone to that. Not because this is all about money, but because money is a necessary part of building something stable and sustainable, which is what we hope to do. And actually, Mare, that's why we have been working hard on getting sponsors for this season of the podcast. Wait, really? Absolutely. This episode of The Launch Pod is sponsored by Holy Smoke Fog Machines. As a pastor, I know that sometimes you spend so much energy every week trying to create just the right atmosphere for people to experience God. But it's not always easy to get the Holy Spirit to appear on cue. (laughs) That's why Holy Smoke Fog Machines developed custom technology to gauge the emotions of the people in the room using sound, light, and spiritual cues. Then, using up to 25 entry ports customizable to the exact physical specifications of your worship space, (laughs) we pump fog of the precise volume, density, temperature, and humidity needed to ensure the Holy Spirit shows up exactly when you want. Holy smoke fog machines, because the presence of God should never be left up to chance. We better get paid a whole lot for that. Oh, absolutely. This podcasting game is lucrative. All right. And um, with that, we're going to go back to the launch pod. Definitely um, so grateful for our sponsors. Yeah. We're actually recording this on the day that the redacted Mueller report is being released. What with Easter and all this weekend, we had to get this one recorded early. And predictably, sides have already been chosen on what is or should be in the report before it's even been read. And those sides aren't nuanced. They're extreme in one way or another. I'm just using this as a convenient example, of course, because it's happening right now. But I could choose any number of other examples of what you might call the tribalism or partisanship of our culture right now. It's exhausting, really. It is. And what's striking to me is that most of the time you get the sense that the people who are fueling this fire don't actually believe what they're saying. Like, they know that what they're saying is not the whole story, but they feel the need to be more and more and more black and white and rhetorically extreme because that's the easiest way to get people to listen and pay attention to what they're saying and, let's face it, give them money. And then there's this question, because whoever gets the money is going to gain more power, which is ultimately what this is all about. Power. Who gets to be in control? Who gets to be at the top? Our older son, Riley, really likes reading the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes as part of his bedtime routine. And we have a huge three-volume complete set of the strip, and we read a handful each night. And it's kind of uncanny how prescient the strip was. Like, you could take some of the stuff Bill Watterson is saying about culture in the late 80s and early 90s and apply it directly to today, even with how much has changed in the years since. Anyway, literally last night... We were reading a strip from 1995 that was talking about how the easiest way to raise money was to get people angry about some common political enemy. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Yeah, this isn't new, even if it has seemed to intensify recently. There's a deeply seated desire for power in humans, which causes no end of problems in our world. I think people convince themselves that the end justifies the means because think of all the good you can do once you're the one who gets power and you use it for good. Except usually once you get power, the need to hold on to it distracts you a little bit from all those good things you were going to do with it. Exactly. We talk about how ultimately what we want Pomona Valley Church to be about is following Jesus into the world together. 
And when it comes to following Jesus, one of the fundamental themes, one that consistently shows up in the Bible, is of God taking a look at the structures of power and the surrounding culture and then offering a completely different way of being in the world. Like in 1 Samuel, the Israelites have moved into the promised land and gone through a period of time where there was no king, just a series of judges that God would raise up from time to time to address some urgent need. And the people look all around at the other nations who all have a king, a strong ruler who is clearly in charge, who has power, who makes their people feel secure. And the Israelites say, we want that. So in 1 Samuel 8, and this is verse 4, it says, So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel, who was the judge at the time, at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Samuel comes back and tells them what will really happen if they have a king, how that person will actually use the power they are given, how the king will exploit them, takes their sons and daughters to work for him and serve him, take the best of their harvests, their money. He will gather all power for himself and leave them powerless. It says, you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. And then it goes on in verse 19. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. Ultimately, I think they're scared that if they don't have someone powerful on their side leading them, they won't survive. Their way of life won't survive. Their values, their hopes, their future will be destroyed. And so they need that power. And the only thing they can imagine is the way everyone else uses it. They can't imagine the alternative way of being that God represents, where no one person needs to grab hold of power for themselves because God is their protector. And they can rest securely in that reality without the inevitable injustice that would come with a king. Jesus' disciples repeatedly show a similar lack of imagination, of course. In Mark 10, there's a story where James and John come to ask Jesus for the positions of power in his coming kingdom. And when the rest of the disciples hear about that, they get mad. Because if James and John get the positions of power in the highly hierarchical system of ancient Rome, it means the rest of them get pushed down. So Jesus calls them all together and says in verse 42 to 45, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, that is Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Not so with you. I love that phrase. But you can tell the disciples can't quite comprehend what that would even mean. Their imaginations are so entrenched in worshiping power and desiring it because if someone else has it, that means you don't have it and they can't even see an alternative, just like the Israelites before them, just like all too often the church today. But Jesus says, what if you didn't hold on to power? What if you became a community where no one exercised authority over the others, but you all had the dignity and agency of being equals before God? What if you had different roles? Yes, but no one was in authority because God is your authority. 
To put it mildly, the church has struggled with this. In some ways, our imaginations toward power are not a lot stronger than the disciples, are they? Curtis and I have lived through some of the consequences of that at Willow Creek these past few years, and you can see it so clearly in the way the evangelical church has approached political power in recent decades. I can remember taking a class in seminary on the Old Testament, and in one of our class times together, the lecture, uh, the professor, John Goldengay, was talking about leadership in the Old Testament. And his argument was that the Bible is deeply ambivalent towards the idea of human leadership. That more often than not, when leadership is talked about, it's put in a negative light, just like we saw in Samuel's words earlier or in Jesus's words. I remember being a little resistant to that. And was that largely because of how much we were in megachurch environments that really valued leadership? Yeah, leadership is raised really highly in certain church environments, and I think I had that framework in my mind. And people we respected were hosting those conversations. Right. Yeah. And so I think my imagination was maybe a little bit constrained by what I was seeing around me in the same way that we've talked about already. But the more I've studied the Bible, the more I find it's kind of hard to argue with Golden Gay's point. The Bible seems to me to accurately depict reality, that when humans are given power, the overwhelming tendency is to use it unjustly, even in those circumstances when the injustice is alongside some good. Like, it's not all bad, but at the same time, the injustice is there. Yeah. We wonder what it might look like to be a church community that followed Jesus in a different way. Because it's one of the starkest ways that following Jesus contrasts with the culture around us. Now, just as much as thousands of years ago, even if the forms of power have changed over time. Because I think it's safe to say that in a world where power and money and partisanship have run amok, we need a new way. And someone to empower us to live that way out because the usual way of doing stuff just isn't working. So when we talk about following Jesus, one big way we understand that is that we are choosing this alternate way of being in the world. And although we chose to focus on power in this episode, you could have a similar conversation with other themes as well. You could look at how people in the Bible are invited to live differently as it relates to the other the poor and the marginalized, all the way from the Old Testament laws that talk about caring for the alien and foreigner and widow, to who Jesus takes notice of and gives honor to in his ministry, to the New Testament working out of how to become one community made up of different social classes. There is a whole alternate way of being that recognizes that we belong to each other. That is Father Greg Boyle says it, there is no us and them, only us. Or you could consider the theme of generosity, from God creating a generous garden in Genesis to God's dream that his people in the promised land would be marked by their generosity to one another, to Jesus's generosity towards us in the incarnation, to Paul's rather harsh words to people who choose not to be generous in the church. Over and over, you see this idea that our resources, whatever those resources are, are meant to be used beyond ourselves for the good of others. In other words, when we say we're following Jesus into the world together, we mean that we are choosing to live out these alternate ways of being in all the many ways that might play out. The early Christians talked about following Jesus as a way, a path one followed. 
with the implication being that it was a different path than others were following. You know, our son Riley was talking about how we follow Jesus when we can't see him, which is a really common question a kid has. What do you mean we're following Jesus when he's invisible to us right now? And so we started trying to introduce him to that idea by talking about copying, something he and his almost four-year-old brother love to get into in order to annoy each other to death. And us sometimes, We had banned the copying game from our house. But it was useful in this moment because we said, if we cannot see Jesus, do we still know about him? Riley says yes. What do we know about what Jesus is like, we ask. And Riley responds with things that he has learned by being part of a church community. That Jesus loves us and is loving towards others. That Jesus wants us to follow him. That Jesus treats people kindly, especially people who are left out. And we go on and on naming the attributes of Jesus that he's heard about so far. And we talked about how following Jesus when we can't see him means that we do what he would do. Like a game of Simon Says. I think we could ask ourselves, where in the Bible are we invited into an alternate way of being? And power or generosity or caring for the other are some examples, but the list is actually pretty long. And all of those get exemplified in the life of Christ. They get worked out in often clumsy ways in the early church. And we find ourselves invited into those same things today, alternate ways of being in the midst of the world where we're following Jesus and copying as best we can the ways we think Jesus would be in the midst of those situations. Yeah, we want to be clumsily working out how to be different and live out those alternate ways of being as a church community. Exactly. And then finally today, we are introducing a new segment to the podcast here in season two, and we are calling it, wait, that counts. And what we're going to do is introduce a few different spiritual practices that might not sound like spiritual practices, but we think they are. And so, Mayor, what are we talking about today? You know, as a kid, our family's favorite Mexican restaurant was called Chili Red, and we went there at least weekly. And we were sure when we walked in to be greeted by Chaz. Chaz had this over-the-top personality, this boisterous welcome that made everything feel like you were walking into Cheers, but with tacos and Dos Equis. We were regulars, and that was half the fun of going out. So for today's edition of Wait, That Counts, I want to talk about the Christian practice of becoming a regular. And it's quite simple. There are things we do week to week. Grocery shopping, getting gas, grabbing coffee, taking kids to activities, attending class. In the midst of our regular schedule, our everyday comings and goings, we have an opportunity to make just a small shift from being random to being a regular. When it's random, we just stop wherever's on the way or convenient to wherever we're going without much thinking. But when we become a regular we take a look at some of the things we're always going to do over and over again, then we pick our place to do that. And we protect enough time to make sure we go back to that spot again and again. It gives us a chance to get to know the people in that space bit by bit. So you keep your phone away. You learn their names. If it's a place where you tip, like a hair salon or a coffee shop, a restaurant, you tip as generously as you're able. You practice remembering something that people told you there so you can follow up on it on your next visit. As we become a regular, we treat people like they're part of our community, not just a service provider. 
we actually went to a conference back in the early days of exploring this question of starting a church. And we were there with other pastors, all of whom were creating new churches in the Boston area. And a couple of them invited me to a CrossFit session with them. At the time, it had been a couple years since I'd done that style of workout. And even then, it was like a CrossFit-inspired boot camp. It wasn't the real deal. I basically died. But on the drive home, one of them were commenting about how they came to CrossFit because it was a chance to be a regular in a community. In fact, he mentioned how much it reminded him of what the church was supposed to be. Because at CrossFit, there is no choice but to be a regular. You RSVP to class. You show up on time. You learn the names of the people around you and little by little with time, get to know them as people. This August will actually be my two-year anniversary of really doing CrossFit. And it's meant a lot to my own faith journey to become a regular in that space. So yes, being a regular, that counts. That's our show for today. We will be back on Thursday with our next episode. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can always email us at PomonaValleyChurch at gmail.com. And you can find show notes at MeredithAnnMiller.com. We would totally appreciate it if you would rate, review, and share the podcast. It really does help others find it. Whether or not they live in Southern California, if they'd find these ideas compelling, we'd be so glad for you to share it along. Have a great start to your week. We'll see you soon. Love you all. Bye. Bye.